You can be praying uh, for our, our, our video right now. We do have multiple TVs uh, in the building just to allow for a little um, more social distancing. And our videoing is not working today. It has been having a mind of its own for a while. And so if you don't mind just saying a prayer, uh, that that would work. We have tried everything. Bill is turning it on and off a hundred times, I think, already today. Uh, so other than kicking it and throwing it outside the outside, uh, if you wouldn't mind praying just for that, that would be wonderful because we do have people that use those. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today. We're in a series titled, The Demands of Discipleship. And in this series, we're looking at what it means to be a disciple. Now, a disciple is one who, who follows Jesus. A disciple is one who learns Jesus in order to live and love like Jesus. And what we're doing primarily is looking at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the first four books of the New Testament. And they give an account of the birth, life, death, re- and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we're looking at what Jesus had to say about discipleship when he was here on earth. And today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at money, and we're going to be looking at material and possessions and what he has to say about that. Now, I know if you've been at church or for, for any period of time, then you probably have heard people, maybe you've been one of those people, um, that, that you've heard people grumble when the church begins to talk about money. When pastors preach on money, people say, eh, he's getting a little bit nosy, isn't he? I mean, you've probably heard something like that, and certainly uh, many pastors have taught have taught wrongly and poorly on money, but could possibly one of the reasons be that we are not big fans of preaching on money is that money and materialism, we often hold those things more sacred than we ought to. And so in math, and so here in our text, Jesus wants to reveal how we're to look at money, how we're to view these things. And in fact, Many of you might remember the story of the rich young ruler. In Matthew 19, he comes to Jesus and he says, What must I do to have eternal life? Don't you wish evangelism was that easy? Someone just walks up to you, Hey, could you tell me the gospel? I'd like to believe today. I don't know about you, but that has never happened to me. Um, But what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't just try to close the deal. But he looks at the man, and he sees the man's heart, and he sees that this man loves riches so much. And so Jesus tells him, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Well, you can only guess what the man did. He walked away. And we're told because he loved his riches so much— Because he loved his riches, he did not enter into the kingdom of God. He did not believe in Jesus. And so today in Matthew 6, Jesus is going to warn us. In fact, he's going to command us not to lay up treasures in heaven. And he does this not because he's against money, not because he's against materialism, but because he wants us to have that which is most satisfying. Jesus doesn't want us to settle for finite joys, but he wants us to have the everlasting joy of being in heaven with him forever. And so what we're going to see today is that we are to pursue our joy, 
by using our resources to maximize our benefits in God through Christ. So we're going to look at how do we actually use our money in a means that does glorify God and maximizes our joy in heaven for all of eternity. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Here at Timberline, we stand when we read uh, as a means of reminding us that this word is inspired by the Spirit for the purpose of building and equipping us. Here we go, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let me pray. Father, we, we come to you now, and we know that you, you, are, you are infinite in every way. You contain and possess all things. In fact, everything that is created is because you have created it and you sustain it. Lord, we are here today because you have created us and sustained us. And we know that everything that we have, even the breath in our lungs, is a gift from you. And so, Father, I pray that as we come through, that as we come into your word today, that your spirit would work and that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see the truth of your scripture. And that we would see the true value of possessions and money and how we're to use them for the far more infinite value of our glory and our joy, of your glory and our joy in you for all of eternity. So Father, I pray, give us understanding today. In your name, Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Uh, so we're in a section called the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is from chapters 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus is describing what it looks like to be a citizen of his kingdom. And so we're just going to dig right in. The first thing he wants us to know is you cannot serve, you cannot worship both God and money. If you look down at verse 24, Jesus clearly says, no one can serve two masters. You'll either love one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And this is pretty obvious, right? It's not a difficult thing to understand. A slave cannot serve two different masters simultaneously. He's going to have to choose one or the other. And so, what are these masters that we're to choose from? Well, Jesus says, you either will serve God or money. Now, the word money is not really the word money, it's the word mammon, and that refers to all material possessions. So, it would refer to money and everything else you can own. So, when we use the word money today, I want you to think mammon. I want you to just think possessions, materialism. And so... Uh, and so neither God or money has needs, though. 
And so when Jesus says you either serve God or money, let's not think that God has needs. Let's not think that money has needs. God is infinite. He's sufficient in every way. And money is simply an object. Money doesn't have needs. So when Jesus says that we're to serve them, surely he doesn't mean we're meeting their needs in any way. But rather to serve God or to serve money is to depend on them for the benefits that they're going to bring to us. So you will either trust in money for its benefits or you will trust in God for his benefits. So when Jesus says in verse 19, do not lay up treasures in heaven, he's telling us not to pursue our joy through the benefits of money here on earth. And when he tells us to lay up treasures on heaven in heaven, he's telling us to pursue our joy in all that God is for us in Jesus. And so don't miss this. Jesus is commanding us to pursue our pleasure. He wants us to pursue joy. Uh, many people would say, that, well, God is against happiness. He's kind of a killjoy. When we think of Christianity, when we think of religion, we think of do's and, we, and don'ts. We think of, you know, no drinking, no dancing, no fun, and then only these things over here that we can do. But here, Jesus is calling us to maximize our joy, and he's saying we do this by following his commands. There's a right way. And there's a wrong way. And in verse 21, we begin to understand why there's a right way and why there's a wrong way. Verse 21, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Jesus is connecting our treasure to our worship. When he says, where your heart is, he's talking about what you desire, what you want most, what you worship. And so uh, Jesus is saying you're either worshiping money and the things here on earth or you're worshiping God and all that he is for us. And so God is, Jesus is calling us to maximize our joy by looking towards God rather than the things here on earth. He's calling us to worship him rather than money, rather than possessions. And what I want to do is we're just going to walk through four reasons why it's foolish to worship money why would be foolish for us to pursue our pleasure pursue our happiness and the things of this earth why uh, it is foolish to lay up treasures on earth so number one earthly treasures do not last if you look at verse 19 that is jesus's point jesus says do not lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal clearly jesus's point is earthly treasures are not secure. Most clothes were made uh, of wool back in the first century, and you can only imagine what moths love to eat. They would eat wool. And uh, the, word, the word rust is actually the word eaten away. And so most commentators would say it probably either refers to moths or worms or maybe even rats that would come and eat clothing and or food. So the whole idea is, again, your treasure being eaten away, being deteriorated. And if it's not attacked by rust or by moth, he says thieves might come and they'll steal it. The point is, earthly treasures do not last. You can build a house. You can have nice cars in the driveway. Your house can look like it was decorated by Joanna Gaines. Your closets can be full of expensive clothes and shirts and dresses and shoes and whatever else goes in closets. 
You can have, I had to look this up because I was pretty sure these are out now, your 8K QLED TVs, your iPads. Your, the point is you can have everything you want, right? And then the next moment, it can all be gone, whether through a fire, whether through hurricanes, whether through floods, whether through a thief. In fact, when we were in Michigan, I got a call one night, and one of the families that lived out in uh, kind of uh, farther out, uh, outside the city, their house had gone up in flames that night. One of their cars had an electrical issue, and so around midnight or 1 a.m., all of a sudden they felt, they smelled smoke, the detectors were going off, they lost everything they had in that one night. That's the point that Jesus is saying is that material things, earthly treasures, do not last. To seek pleasure in such a fragile God like money, Jesus is saying, well, it's foolish. So number two, earthly treasures will deceive and destroy. Now, there's one other place in the Gospels where Jesus uses the word lay up treasures. And that's in Luke chapter 12. And so I actually encourage you, turn over to Luke chapter 12. We're going to read um, a passage there in verses 16 through 21. And in this passage, Jesus is warning us of the dangers of trusting in earthly treasures. And so he tells a parable of a rich man. And so this is what he says, starting in verse 16. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Do you notice the deception that takes place here? The man looks at his riches and he says, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Now, we got to be careful here. Nowhere does scripture say that money or possessions are evil in and of themselves? In fact, the Bible assumes that you and I are going to have things. Do you know that? I mean, if you go back to the Ten Commandments, uh, one of the commandments is do not steal. One of their commandments is do not covet. The idea is even as God's people, we have possessions. So, yes, there are times where Jesus has commanded people to give everything away that they own. But largely, the Bible assumes that as Christians, as believers, as disciples, we have stuff. The problem comes when we trust in our money, we trust in our possessions more than we trust in God. And this is, this is something that we fall into constantly because the world will judge us and will judge our worth based upon our positions. And sin deceives us into thinking that the more money, the more possessions that we have, the greater worth we have, the, more, uh, the greater security we have in this world. This is why in Matthew 19, when we were talking about the rich young ruler earlier, Jesus says it is hard for a rich man to come into the kingdom of God. Material wealth often blinds us to our spiritual needs. Do you know that? 
Material wealth can blind you to your spiritual needs. This is why. In verse 21, Jesus says, the one who lays up treasure for himself is not rich towards God. Now notice, the man is abundantly rich, and at the same time, Jesus says he's spiritually bankrupt. He has everything he wants, and yet it doesn't matter, Jesus says. Because of sin, there's, there's a magnetism that money has on our hearts. Do you know that? Do you ever feel that? You might feel that around Christmas when you're constantly on Amazon and looking at all the Black Friday sales, and like Black Friday is apparently every day in November now. Like, does anyone find that weird? And does it go into December? Does Black Friday keep going? Probably. So like Black Friday's never ending now, and so we're just constantly told 50% off, 70% off, buy this, buy this. There's a magnetism that that has on our hearts because of sin. Because I guarantee you, as we start thinking about all the things we can buy, we also start thinking about all the things that we want and all the things that we need, right? Do you, do you feel that? Because we wrestle with that. And yet, because of our sin, materialism will deceive us into thinking that we're spiritually rich, that we're fine, that we're safe, that we're secure, that we don't need to worry about spiritual matters. And yet, Jesus says, fool to that person. Look, when, when a rich man and a poor man die, and they stand naked before Jesus, bank accounts don't transfer into heaven. Whatever you have in your garage doesn't come with you. We all stand equal before God, and all, all of a sudden we realize nothing that we own or possess matters as we stand before the judge who looks at our heart and examines to see if we believe and trust in him. Look, it's foolish to worship that which deceives you. And that's what money can do. We have to be on guard against that. Number three, earthly treasures will keep you out of the kingdom. This is huge. Do you realize the way that you handle money will keep you out of the kingdom? Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24. We cannot serve two masters. If we serve money, if our greatest desire is for earthly possessions and the status that they bring, the joy that they bring to us, Jesus says you have no place in the kingdom of God. You can't do it. In fact, Paul says something really similar in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, Paul is describing the Christian life, and he says this. Chapter 5, verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You hear what he says? Think about that. If you're sexually immoral and pure, if your desire is to seek your joy through sexual immorality on this earth or covetousness, so he holds sexual morality or materialism in the same hand, and he says, if your desire is to find your joy in these things, which then he defines as idolatry, as false worship, he says, you have no room in the kingdom. See, so the warning Jesus is giving here, this is a gracious warning that Jesus is saying, we cannot serve two masters. And God does not share his own glory. 
He is one who is worthy of all worship. He's the one who has created us, sustains all of creation. Like literally, the reason you're alive right now and you're breathing and your heart is beating has nothing to do with biology and has nothing to do with your abilities and willpower. It has everything to do with God sustaining you right now. Do you know that? It's just not about money. So we can have it and we can seek for the things and we can seek confidence in what we can hold on to and what we can see. And God says, but it has no lasting value. All throughout the Bible, we're given examples of what happens if we pursue God through false worship. Or if we, we, if we think that we can worship God and worship something else at the same time. In fact, I want to just give one example. Many of you might know this. If you don't, I encourage you to go back and read the book of Joshua later. But you know the, do you know the story of Achan in the book of Joshua? So in the book of Joshua, God's people are, have come into the promised land. They just crossed the Jordan River. They come into the land that God has promised them. And the first thing they see is a mighty fortress called Jericho. You guys want to sing the song? I'm not singing the song. Um, maybe my wife could later. Is that in the set? She could probably make it happen. Um, so they come to this mighty fortress we're not going to go into the whole story of how God defeats it, but God basically says, look, I will defeat this nation for you, and this is what you're going to do. When you go through all the ruins of the city, you're going to take the gold, and you're going to take the silver, and you're going to take all the treasures, and you're going to give them to me. You're going to give them as an act of worship. You're going to give them to me as a means of acknowledging that God alone is the reason we have taken Jericho. It was not by our might. It wasn't by our power. Everything is by the strength of God. And so they're to give their treasures as a means of honoring and thankfulness to God. But there's a guy named Achan. And he's going through and he's picking up the treasures. You can just imagine how this is working, right? And he starts looking at all the silver and all the gold. And he goes, well, surely I could keep some. I mean, I can worship God and money at the same time. I can give some to God. I'll keep some to myself. Nobody will know. But the thing is, God knows. He sees our hearts. He looks into your heart and into my heart. He knows exactly what we trust in, who we trust in. And so Achan's sin gets found out. He gets caught. Joshua comes to him and he says, tell us what you've done. And so this is what he says. So I want you to think about this. Chapter 7, verse 21 of the book of Joshua. Achan says, when I saw among the spoil, and you got to imagine, he's probably saying this in a very like crackly voice. He's standing before all the congregation of Israel in front of Joshua. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and I took them. And see, they're hidden in the earth inside my tent with silver underneath. For a coat, for some silver, and a bar of gold. 
He sold, his sell, he sold his soul to the devil, and he will forever experience the fiery torment of God's judgment. For a coat, some silver, and some gold. That's what Satan says is a good deal. That's what he wants us to fall into. That's the deception of money. I mean, does that even sound wise? Eternal torment for temporary satisfaction with a coat, some silver, and some gold. If we desire the treasures on earth, we have no place in the kingdom of God, Jesus says. And so they took Achan and they stoned him right then. That's number three. Number four, heavenly treasures last forever. That's what Jesus wants us to know. Go back to verse 20. See, there's this contrast. Verse 19, do not lay up treasures in heaven. They don't last. Jesus is just, he's working for our joy at this moment. He wants us to know what is wise. And he says, lay up treasures on earth, uh, in heaven. They last forever. He says, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves will not break in and steal. If you remember the Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, Peter's talking about the joy and the blessing it is to be a Christian. And then Peter says, because we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Do you know that? Like if you're a believer here, do you know that Jesus has an inheritance for you in heaven, and he guards it himself. And he says it's imperishable. It's unfading. Do you th- now just think about that. Unfading. We all know what it is to have shirts that we wash too many times that were like black, and now they're like not black. Or you ever wash like a white shirt too many times with your jeans? It turns bluish. You know, like things fade. The thing, things change in color. And Jesus says, this is unfading. It is priceless and infinite joy is in heaven for you. And guess what? In a million years in being in heaven, it will be infinite and fully pleasurable and it will never fade in its glory. You will be fully satisfied in this treasure at all times for all of eternity. That's the joy that God has for us. That's what he's saying. Be heavenly minded. Don't think only about those things of earth. Don't think this is where you lay up treasures. You can't do both. It's one or the other. You either use your money for the finite pleasure it gives you now, or you use it as a means of advancing the kingdom and having everlasting joy in God. Now, don't miss, there's an underlying truth in these verses, right? The point is, life here on earth is not final. Like, when we die, that's not it. The whole Bible speaks of this life that we have with God forever if we believe in Him. What we see in Scripture and what we know by experience is that life is short. I mean, it feels long at times, right? 70 to 80 years can feel forever. And I think if we ask some of those who are 70 and 80 years old, they would say life goes by pretty quick. It goes by pretty quick. So Jesus is calling us to forego small, finite, moth-infested, trivial pleasures here on earth for the greater, imperishable, infinite pleasures that will be lavished on us forever and eternity. 
That's what Jesus says is wise. That's how he's calling us to live. So let me ask you then, what are these treasures in heaven? What are we storing up? And I think there's a couple ways that we can answer this. Answer this. So let me give a couple answers, and then I'll give you something more controversial. But number one, what is the justification? When you believe in Jesus Christ, you are declared righteous now, but guess what? For all of eternity, you will be declared righteous before God. In fact, do you know what righteousness you are given and that God will see on you for all of eternity? He sees the righteousness of Jesus on you for all of eternity. And that leads us to a second treasure that we're adopted into the family of God. Like when we live in heaven with God forever, we don't live in the slaves' quarters, but because we have the righteousness of his son on us, we're adopted into his family and we're treated as Jesus is treated. And Romans eight seventeen says, we are co-heirs with Christ. Therefore, everything that Jesus has, guess what you have? All that Jesus has. He shares everything with us, which leads us to glorification. We're actually told we will be made like Jesus. Do you know that? Now, we're not going to be Jesus. We're not going to share in the infinite power and strength and wisdom of God because we're not God. So in however close and whatever that looks like, that we as a creature can be made into the very perfect image of Jesus, that is what we will be made into, and we will have perfect joy, and we are told that we will see God because we will be made like him. So those are, those are certain things that we can see of what it looks like to have treasure in heaven. But I want to suggest that he means more than that. Let me give you a couple reasons of what I th- why I think Jesus means more than just those things. But he's actually meaning that we're rewarded by our faithful deeds done here on earth. Which would then mean the greater the faithful deeds here on earth, the greater inheritance there will be in heaven for all time. Now again, we all get in by grace. No one earns their way into salvation. So do not by any means misconstrue my word saying we earn anything. We earn nothing. In fact, the only reason we do deeds of righteousness is by his grace. So none of this moves back to our ability to boast in ourselves. But we do have verses that seem to indicate that we'll be rewarded based upon our faithfulness, based upon righteousness done here on earth. So let me just give just a couple of of examples. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we read this. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Do you see it? Jesus says, so we're all going to appear, all Christians will appear, all unbelievers will appear, and we're all going to get what we deserve. Whether we believe in Christ and we're entering into the kingdom, or whether we have rejected him. But then it seems to say, what we have done in the body. What we have done as believers that will be rewarded to that degree. Secondly, in Matthew 6, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about 
being rewarded because of righteous deeds done here on earth. Jesus talks earlier in chapter six of Matthew, he talks about giving to the poor, he talks about praying, and he talks about fasting. And he says, the hypocrites, meaning the Pharisees, and he says, they give and they fast and they pray and they do so in public so that they will gain approval of man. And then Jesus says, that's their reward. So he says, the reward of the Pharisees is the treasures of earth, is the fame that's given to them by other men because they're seen for their righteous deeds. But then he says, and this is what he says, if you look back at Matthew chapter 6, verse 3, Matthew 6, verse 3, Jesus says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now the word, words reward you are in future tense. So some might say, well, that's just going to be an earthly reward, but it could certainly also be, in the context of Matthew 6, a heavenly reward. And we read the same words in verse 6 and in verse 18 regarding prayer and regarding fasting. That we don't do these things so that we gain the approval of man, but that so that we would be rewarded by God in heaven. We could also look at the parable of the talents. Many of you might know that. There are three servants. The master is about to be gone for a long period of time. This is a picture of Jesus going up into heaven. And then we as a church are to be faithful with the very things that he has given us. He gives one guy five talents, another guy two talents, another guy one. The guy who had one talents did nothing. When Jesus returns and he's removed from the kingdom. He says, you obviously are faithless. You did nothing with what I gave you. And then with the man who had given five, he was faithful, and he, and he gave Jesus five more. And Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he welcomes in, him in to enjoy the reward of the master. Same thing happens with the one who had two. And then the one who had two had doubled it, and he also is welcomed into the joy of the master. And Jesus says, he took the one... The one talent that the one person had who wasted it, and he gave it to the one who had five. And he simply said, to those who are faithful, more will be given to them. Now, we've got to get hung up. We don't want to get hung up on the talents and on our exact riches and thinking we know what that's going to look like in heaven. But there does seem to be a teaching in Scripture that talks about God rewards faithfulness. The greater their faithfulness, the greater the reward in heaven. Now, we have to be careful that we don't say too much. Because the Bible is much clearer on things on earth than, our, than the things of heaven. Okay? So much more clear. So when Jesus talks about giving to the poor and how we live here on earth, there's lots of details, lots of our examples. When we start learning about what life looks like in the kingdom, it's not quite as clear. But Jesus does give us these breadcrumbs that seem to indicate that there will be variations of reward in heaven, and thus the opposite would be true. There could definitely be various degrees of torment in hell. So exactly what do these rewards look like? We're not 100% sure. But the point Jesus is making is that he calls us to live, is that the way we live now has eternal consequences. And he's calling us to live in such a way that will maximize our eternal joy. So that's, the, that's what I want us to look at now. 
There's definite joy. There's infinite pleasures forever for us to experience in heaven. So how do we lay those treasures up? What does that look like? And so I just want to give one, one way that we do that is that we give generously of our possessions. In verse 19, Jesus is clearly saying, do not lay up treasures on earth. Do not look to your material possessions as a means of gaining your pleasure. So thus, when he commands us not to do this with our material possessions, and he says, but lay up treasures in heaven, it seems he'd be calling us to do the opposite. So he's calling us to rather than look and seeing how much we can gain with our material possessions, but rather how much we can give with our material possessions. If we pursue joy on earth through material gain, then we pursue our joy in heaven by generously giving away our possessions. Our endless pursuit of materialism reveals a slavery to sin. But because of the gospel of Jesus, we've been set free from that slavery. Our generous giving shows our freedom from the bondage of sin and materialism. Let me ask you, does your giving show that you've been set free from the bondage of materialism? Just think through that. How willingly and abundantly do you desire to give? Let me, let me read 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Paul, Paul's talking to uh, the church in Corinth, and he talks about the churches in Macedonia and how they gave. And they gave out of extreme poverty. And then he tells them, this is why they did it. This is why they gave. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. He gives the gospel. Do you see it? Jesus is in heaven. He's on his throne, surrounded by angels. And he lays all of that aside, all of those riches and he comes that he would be born in the flesh, which is what we celebrate at Christmas, the first advent, where eventually he would live and then be arrested and crucified so that we who believe in him would be saved. And he says, so that we who are poor would become rich. So Paul says the reason the churches in Macedonia gave so much of their physical belongings, even when they were so poor, is out of the joy they had in the gospel because God gave everything for us so that we could be spiritually rich in him. God has blessed us with material possessions. And I know that we're all at varying degrees here, but compared to the rest of the world, we have a great, great abundance. And God has blessed us with money and possessions, not so that we would build, build bigger barns, but so that we would increase our joy in heaven by giving those things away. Randy Alcorn used to be a pastor, and now he's an author. He said, in his book called The Treasure Principle, he says this. He says, I'm convinced that the greatest deterrent to giving is the illusion that earth is our home. He says, we just keep thinking this is where it all is. And yet the gospel frees us from that. It cuts the strings that money has on us, and it helps us to see that heaven is our home. 
and that Jesus has freed us so we wouldn't be worried about building bigger barns here, but that we'd be free to give of our possessions, knowing that we have a far greater reward in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we'll spend eternity in heaven, not on earth. Earthly treasure is far, heavenly treasure is far more valuable and satisfying than the finite joys on earth. So Jesus is calling us not to build bigger barns, but how do we grow in our giving? How do we give more? Storing up those treasures in heaven that we would have maximum joy for all of, inher- for all of eternity. So I want you to consider just how you are giving. How has the gospel freed you from your love and your pursuit of materialism? We begin this sermon by just simply uh, mentioning that oftentimes churches were apprehensive when we start hearing about money and we start hearing about possessions. And we start just thinking, this is getting too close to home. We don't like this. In fact, many people will say, oh, I stopped going to that church. They talk too much about money. But I want you to see, do you see why it's good that money is not off limits? Why we need to preach on it. Because of the sin in our hearts, there's a deception that can take place. That we can think that our true value and worth comes from the things that we have here on earth. But Jesus is saying, our value and our worth comes in that we have believed in his son, Jesus Christ. And we are storing up treasures in heaven where we will live with him for all of eternity. By giving away our money and our possessions here on earth, we lose nothing and we gain everything. Do you know that? In the first century, the Romans, they were in awe of the Christian church. Do you know why? Because of the way they took care of their poor. They're blown away. They said, wow, the Christians love their poor and they love our poor as well. They noticed Christians just did not love other Christians, but they loved those outside the faith as well, which is why we talked earlier today about benevolence. Whatever money is given will meet the needs of those in the church and will meet the needs of those outside the church. It's the generosity of the church that shines brightly in a world of darkness consumed with materialism. And we give because God has given his son to us. We don't give to pay back. We give out of thankfulness and out of storing up joy in heaven for all of eternity. So I want to encourage us that we'd be a generous people. To be a disciple is to be generous. Let us lay up treasures in heaven rather than on earth. Let us show the world the heart of our King Jesus who he set aside his riches so he'd become poor, so that we who are poor would become rich for all of eternity with him. So let's pray, and we're going to take communion this morning. Our Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for for the fact that you have spoken on riches, for that you have warned us about the deception of materialism, And Lord, I know that as we wrestle through, Lord, there's so many things that we love here on earth. And there are many, many good things here. But Lord, may we not find our joy in them, but may we find our joy in you and may we store up treasures on earth, on heaven, by giving away the things here on earth. May we show your glory, your infinite worth 
by giving up all things here on earth. Lord, I pray that your spirit would just work in our hearts today, that you would reveal any sin, any deception that we have fallen into, into materialism, and that we'd repent. And Lord, I pray that we would be a generous people, a generous church, and that we'd be willing to give all because you have given all to us. In your name, Jesus, amen. The men are going to come forward and direct you towards communion. Uh, They'll usher you up, and if you are not